And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea had also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. We will live with him, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, and the name of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass.
Keep going. Keep going. All right. 22.5. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. It is the word of the Lord this morning. Amen. Here's the truth of the matter. I gave that to Tim because I couldn't pronounce all 12 of those precious gems. (laughs) Figured I'd give it to somebody who could. Well done, Tim. Didn't that sound great? I mean, as you heard him read, could you picture it? This is a story of heaven. A story of heaven. You've heard it before, but don't miss the point. There's the old story of the tortoise and the hare. You know it, right? The tortoise and the hare decide to race. They both start going. The hare takes off, gets a really big lead, thinks, well, I could just take a rest, lays down. The tortoise keeps plugging along and ends up winning. My parents used to tell me the moral of that story is slow and steady wins the race. That's the old story. Did you know it was remade in a Mercedes commercial recently? The old story made new. Same moral. Don't miss the point. And then there is the karate kid. Those that are over about... 30 are thinking, that is the one. The original one with Ralph Macchio. Did you know that he turned 50? Wow. Wow. Mr. Miyagi? I don't know how old Mr. Miyagi is. But you know the story, right? A kid moves into town. He's new. He gets bullied. He gets into fights. He learns karate from a a handyman. He wins karate tournament, because that's how he would say it. Thank you. You caught that. He wins the karate tournament against the kids who have been beating him up. The moral of the story, treat others with kindness and respect, and power is only good in the hands of those who will choose not to use it. The old story, then there is the newer remake with Will Smith's son as the former, or as the main character, and Jackie Chan as the former Mr. Miyagi. It may be a new version, but the moral is the same. You've heard it before. Don't miss the point. 
We've been in the book of Revelation now for seven weeks, eight weeks if you count the one week where we didn't look at it. We've seen some wild and crazy apocalyptic type things. Scrolls and seals and red dragons trying to eat baby boys and battles of good and bad angels. And if you've read the entire book of Angel, of Revelation, by the time you get to this point, chapter 20, chapter 21, you can't wait to get to the story of heaven. You can't wait to, to read about the pearly gates and the jewels and the streets of gold. And we can't wait to, to think about God's magnificence illuminating everything. Most of us, by the time we get to this point in the book, think, oh, finally, something I can wrap my mind around. I can look forward to this. It's the story of heaven. You've heard the old story. Don't miss the point. Let's pray. God, as is so often the case, we come before you desiring to hear from you, desiring for your gentle whisper to speak to our hearts. And Lord, this morning, that is the same. We open up the, the end of the story of Scripture, longing once again to hear from you. God, we may know this story, but help us not miss the point. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the actual text assigned for today was just the first seven verses of chapter 21. Listen to it, or you can follow along up on the screen or in your Bible. The author says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. When we hear the story of heaven, as described in the last couple chapters of Revelation, when we hear the out with the old and in with the new, do you think we run the risk of getting so focused on the new that we miss what God's trying to tell us? For those who have been in church for a long time, maybe you think, I've heard some of this story before in the pages of Scripture. You know what, I'm, I'm going to let my mind wander to streets of gold and to 12 different types of gems that Pastor James can't pronounce so he has the, the worship leader read them. I'm going to think about those things. You know, I really started thinking this past week uh, about a question. What would the original listeners have heard when they first heard this from John? So I want to wrestle with that a little bit this morning. What would the original listeners have heard? And we'll start in Revelation 21, verse 1, where John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, 
The sea was also gone. A new heaven, a new earth. Now, believe it or not, for the original listeners, this was an old story being told again. It was a story, a promise God had made several times in their history. I'm going to read them from the screen. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. God says, look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22. As surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear. Now, even closer to the time that John wrote Revelation, the apostle Peter had written this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Doesn't that sound great? Thank you. Yes, That does sound great new. Now this had been a story that had been passed on, an idea that had been shared around the dinner table, that had been discussed around the campfire for generations upon generations. So when John wrote it in Revelation 21, it was already known, but there was still excitement. New is coming. And because new is promised, I would say don't miss the point. What would the original listeners have heard? Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. A new Jerusalem. Tim read that large portion of Scripture to start us off as it gave us a great physical description of the new Jerusalem. The second half of of chapter 21 tells us about the city's appearance sparkling like a precious stone. Twelve gates guarded by twelve angels, foundation stones with the apostles' names on it. It spoke of the physical dimensions of the New Jerusalem. It said roughly 14 to 1,500 square miles. That's a decent-sized city, yeah? I mean, that's bigger than the state of Rhode Island, which is 1,200 square miles. Those verses, they spoke of walls of jasper, cities of pure gold, gems upon gems upon gems. What a sight it must have been. A new Jerusalem coming from God himself. What did the original listeners hear? God had been talking about this new Jerusalem for a while. Most of Ezekiel 40 and 48 talk about this new Jerusalem, as does the second half of chapter 60 in Isaiah. In fact, listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 54, verse 11 and 12. God says, O storm-battered city, troubled and desolate, I will rebuild you with precious jewels, and I will make your foundations from lapis lazuli, which is cool, it's like a blue stone, it's kind of rare. I didn't know that, I had to Google it this morning. God says, I will make your towers of sparkling rubies, your gates of shining gems, and your walls of precious stones. A new Jerusalem. This was a known story for the people of God, so their excitement in hearing John write about this again, it would have been fresh, but it also would have been seasoned. John was saying, listen, there's something new coming. If the people had heard that before, would they miss the main point. Jumping down to verse 4. 
God says He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. When Tim read that, I heard a few of you say, Amen. A few of you who have felt those things. The old is gone. The new has come. The former things have passed away. These things that are listed are the devastating effects of sin. Tears, death, sorrow, pain, all gone forever. What a fantastic story. But was it new to the original listeners? No. Listen again from the screen. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. God will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. Isaiah chapter 65. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Isaiah chapter 35 verse 10. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be be filled with joy and gladness. This is a great picture being painted in Revelation 21, verse 4. And as great as it is, as great a comfort as it would have been, the story wasn't a new one. But it was being told by John that it was. Revelation 21.5, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. We get excited about that. When our vehicles start to break down, when they start to not start in the morning, we start thinking, oh, I'm going I'm to get a new one. We get excited because it'll be shiny. It'll start. When our phones start dying, which is about every three months, that's the way technology works, okay, we start thinking, I'm going to get my upgrade. It's, it's going to be new. It'll be nice. You know, as hard as it was for uh, Betty Jo to, to leave her house. Where are you, Betty Jo? I know you're in here. There you are. You're hiding. Okay? She's got a beautiful new place. It's shiny. It, the, the, it's, it's new. It's stuff we look forward to. Wonderful. It's amazing. It's heaven's going to be grand. Beyond comprehension. With all of that talk of new, would the listeners have caught the main point? Well, we catch the main point. Old stories made new. Don't let the shiny, don't let the indescribable blind your vision to what God is trying to say in these seven verses in Revelation. God is saying, look, I'm making everything new. But even this declaration was not new. Isaiah chapter 43 But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. Don't let that distract you. Verse 6. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The word beginning is the word arche. And it means more than just the start of a line. One commentator writes this. He says, beginning. It means God is the source, the origin from which all things draw their being. It means that all things have their beginning, their birth, their creation, their origin, their coming into being in and through God. And he says the word for end is telos. 
It does not simply mean the end in a point of time or the last thing in a series. It means the goal, the consummation, that which things come to their completing. John is saying all life begins and ends with God. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Had the people heard this before? You should know the answer by now. Yes. Again, Isaiah 44, verse 6. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. Listen to me, O family of Jacob, Israel, my chosen one. I alone am God, the first and the last. If you remember all the way seven weeks back, you would have heard Pastor Ron talk about chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is to come, the Almighty One. The original listeners would have heard all this. Did they catch the main point? Are we catching the main point? Now you may be thinking, come on, Pastor James, get to the main point. We've heard you say that. You told us not to miss it. Okay? We've looked at confusing things in Revelation all the way up into 21, and now we have a chance to think about heaven. Let us think about gems and gold and pearly gates and all that other stuff. Old stories made new. That's the heaven we like to think about. But hang with me for just a little bit more because I think John is going to get to the main point. It's right around the corner. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, all of it. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. The springs from the water of life. About 15 miles from the little Indian village that I grew up in was another little Indian village called Lame Deer. Just outside of that Indian village was our church's campgrounds. Now, it didn't look like much. You had to take a dirt road to get there. You often miss the last turn. And for those who like recreationally camping today, you would think, huh, really nothing there. But there is. That campground has something I've never seen in another campground. Crazy Head Springs. Don't let the name fool you. Crazy Head Springs. This was a spring that at some point, at some point, at, at some point, they, some person at some point had tapped into. They had stuck a pipe into the ground somehow and there was water flowing out of it. Good water. A constant flow of crisp and cool liquid. You could stick your bottle right under it. You didn't have to put any of, any of that stuff that would clean the water. You didn't have to worry about getting sick. You could stick your face right under it and the water would just pour over it. Best water I've ever had, hands down. And it's the closest thing I can think of when God talks about the springs of living water. Now we've got to understand this when you read that in Scripture. That in the pages of Scripture, thirst is often used to to show humanity's desire for God, a soul's craving for God. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, you guys know this. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? J.P. Lang calls this the homesickness of the soul. 
Psalm 63 says, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Isaiah 55, 1, God says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Do you catch that? It's free. And that's one of the beautiful things about Revelation 21, 6. God says to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of living water. If our souls are longing for God, if they're thirsting for God, God alone can quench. Psalm 36, 9 talks about him being the fountain of life. So when we thirst for God, God promises to ease, to appease, to satisfy that longing, and it leads to eternal life. We heard Jesus say that in John chapter 4, verse 14. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Eternal life. Let's begin to connect some dots. Okay? We've been looking at the book of Revelation. We've seen some crazy things in the last seven weeks. You've been sitting here listening to me, listening to me say, oh, heaven's going to be great, it's going to be new, but don't miss the point. And finally, I get to this point of eternal life, and my guess is that many of our minds go back to shiny. They go back to streets of gold. They go back to the heaven that we've always been taught to think about. That's fantastic. But the first seven verses in this chapter have a different emphasis. God says, I'm making things new, but I'm telling you something about eternal life. And that eternal life is not, excuse me, the important thing about that eternal life is not that by receiving it, you get to walk streets of gold. The important thing about eternal life is not that you get to look at 12 different types of stones and 12 different types of gates guarded by 12 different types of angels. It's not that your name does not end up or ends up in the book of life and you don't end up in the lake of fire. That's not the main point. The main point is that God will quench our thirst. There's something bigger, something greater, something more cosmically fantastic that we can't even begin to fathom is going to take place. God will satisfy us by his presence. He's going to satisfy us by his presence. I intentionally had Tim read that large portion of Scripture because it it painted a physical place. A description of a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. I want to draw our minds to a relational place. That's the main point. Chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among us, his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Here's a different translation. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. From the King James Version, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Are you getting this? God's presence, God's home, God's permanence with us. This is the new that God is trying to paint a picture of. 
This is a new beyond our comprehension. Yes, Scripture says God will, that Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. But God pitching his tent, dwelling among us, this is a new we can't even begin to grasp. It's a new that maybe the people had heard about, but we can't even understand it. It's new. Now, had the people heard about this before? Yeah. You got to figure that'd be my answer. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 11 and 12. God told the people, I will live among you, and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. He said it again through the prophet Ezekiel. I will make my home among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. God has been foreshadowing this throughout the pages of Scripture. His presence coming. Okay? His presence was on the Ark of the Covenant. His presence filled Solomon's temple. His presence was there in the incarnate person of Jesus Christ. And now, at least when we get to this day, we're seeing in Revelation 21, God will make His permanent dwelling among us. What a thought. Amen? God will make His permanent dwelling among us. So what do we do with that? Man, I wrestled with some like, what type of take-home points do we do with that? Well, I started thinking about what I think of when I stop and think of heaven. What I long for, what I dream of. And most often it's those pearly gates and streets of gold and Gems upon gems upon gems. Too often I'm wrapped up in that geographical location. I want to be wrapped up in that relational place. I want that to be what I think about when I think about heaven. Here's the crazy thing. Okay? At Awana on Wednesday night, I asked those kids, kindergarten through third grade, tell me about heaven. I think only one kid mentioned something physical about streets of gold. All the rest of them said, we're with Jesus. I get to be with God. I looked at the person next to me and said, well, they haven't been indoctrinated yet. I want that in my life. And maybe that's the take home. Being able to think, being able to long for heaven as presence with God. The way I see it, Heaven could be a cardboard box with dirt and muck and mud, and as long as I'm with the presence of God, it's not going to matter. Amen? Some of y'all thinking, I don't know if I should amen that, because I really like the thought of gold. Oh, man. Scripture paints a picture of a pretty cool and amazing heaven. Okay? But it tells us the most amazing thing is that God is going to be with us. His presence is going to be with us. It'll be like the very beginning when God walked and talked. And his presence was felt with the people. So what do we do with all this? I think an easy thing is let's just check where our longing is when we think of heaven. We check where our longing is. Are we longing for God's presence now and into eternity? Revelation, 20, Revelation chapter 1 said, Grace and peace to you from the one who is, the one who always was, and the one who is to come. I want that grace and peace. And I want it to be in the presence of a triune God forever and ever. You want that?
Amen. We can know for sure that we can have that. If you don't know how, come and find me afterwards. This morning has been a story of heaven. New? Yes. Shiny? Yes. But that's not the main point. The main point is that God's presence will be with us forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, what a story. What a thought. To be able to to imagine, to long for, to dream about your presence with us. God, for those of us who have been following Christ for a while, and for those who even haven't, we may have had experiences of your presence even here and now, and it's been fantastic. It's been amazing. And, and maybe we think that, you know, we can't, it can't get any better than that. And yet, in Revelation 21.3, Lord God, you give us a promise that you're going to make your home among us. We're going to see you for who you are. Your radiance to, to where there won't be need for sun or moon because you're, you're, you will illuminate heaven. God, I want that. And now we get to be torn between longing for that and living in the present. God, help us live in that, that rub. We want to know the indescribable God that you are. And we want to long for that time with you forever and ever. We thank you that you promise in the Old Testament and the New that that is what we get. God, may we cling to that promise. And we can cling to it because of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.